All right, welcome to the uh, this version of the Grill Podcast. Uh, we're here in beautiful Farnhamville, Iowa, at our research plot. Um, so it's our first one doing it outside here in action um, in our kind of agronomy primary location um, at our Farnhamville research plot. Uh, today, joining me, I got Brad Sherwin and da and Dan Bjorklund, who are going to provide a lot of good insights around um, what we're seeing from current agronomic events in the field today. Um, also joining us is going to be Dave Lemke, who is really the mastermind behind what the Farnhamville research plot is. Um, he's going to kind of tell us and brief us on what we have out here this year um, and what we're really trying to get some good data back on for our farmers here in central Iowa. Um, we're going to kind of round up the podcast on that. And then uh, we'll also be talking about a market update on both chemical and fertilizer like we always do. And, uh, and briefly talk about some of the really interesting things that we have coming um, here to land us from some of our, our recent capital expenditures that have been approved. So look forward to you joining us for the podcast. All right, transitioning over to the market update. Uh, we do this every month, obviously. So for the traditional listeners, you know, we, this is pretty common for you. For anybody that's new, we're going to really talk a lot about what's happening in the fertilizer market, the seed uh, overall seed market, and uh, the chemical prices for, you know, what I'm seeing on the horizon. Uh, start off with everybody's favorite topic. I'm getting calls every day from our account leads, Grow Solutions Center, Farmers Direct on John Wynn, our fertilizer price is coming out for fall. The recent run-up in grain prices, it looks like a great opportunity. Um, luckily for you, the, our, our dry prices for fall are out along with the terms that we're going to have in some different financing programs. So, um, when you're listening to this, go ahead and reach out to the Growth Solutions Center, call your local representative, heck, call me if you need to. Um, we are going to, our dry prices are out. So you have an opportunity to lock that in for fall. Um, overall, when I look at it on a cost per acre standpoint, I think I did some analysis on tuner bushel corn, uh, removal rate the other day. And I think you can get S10 and potash down there, um, basis that removal at about um, 80 bucks an acre, uh, roughly, uh, maybe 85. I can't remember off the top of my head without application. So, you know, when, when you think about that versus what it was last year, last year, any dry, dry programs were anywhere from 160 to $200 an acre. Um, we've seen a significant pullback in overall dry prices globally um, and domestically here. So, you know, really with where we're at from an overall corn price, I know it's maybe a little bit lower than what it la was last year, but you know, we're not talking about a price uh, decrease on corn comparable to 50% price redu reduction on overall um, P and K. Uh, so, you know, for those that have been asking and calling, feel free to give uh, your local representation a call. We do have those prices out. Shifting gear to nitrogen, um, we're still kind of waiting on the manufacturers to come forward with some more um, prices that we can then go ahead and buy and resell. Um, you know, my best guess today, and these are vague numbers, Ammonia retail is going to be somewhere in the 500s. Um, I'm going to lean to the lower end of that spectrum um, with a chance it might be $495. I think that's a, a kind of a long shot, but my guess is it's going to be, call it $495 on the absolute low side to probably $550 on the op, op, absolute top side. Um, you know, when you compare that to last year, I looked up our, our, our posted price last year for fall ammonia was $1,080 a ton. Our posted price for um, spring ammonia this past spring was $1,150. Um, again, we're over 50% reduction in prices, okay? That is a huge advantage um, when you look at the overall price affordability from, core, from grain to um, nitrogen. Um, those, to me, are things that, as a farmer, that's a lock and load situation, okay? Get your prices. Don't think about it. It is not going down before the end of fall. Um, there's only upside from where we're at today. 
when you look at, you know, really the forward horizon of what's happening still in Europe, um, you've got forward natural or natural gas values in Europe at $15, $16 an MMBTU. That really translates over to about six, $700 cost of ammonia production. Um, you know, today they're not at that value. They're closer to $7 an MMBTU on spot gas. So that's why we're seeing this current price shift to lower is because they're a little bit more competitive in the overall global market of uh, being able to, to either manufacture their, their own ammonia or be sellable into other markets. Um, as you look forward to November, December, January, when you've got those higher cost of productions, you know, for those of you that have done, you know, taken the uh, macroeconomics classes in college or anywhere else, or just Google a, a basic S&D, you know, the market's going to move to an equilibrium price, okay? And the equilibrium price is going to be set on what the cost of production is globally in Europe. And that's just true to, due to the fact that they're going to be the high cost producer and we still need them in the market making ammonia. Um, so when you look at it to fall, you know, I think it's a really good opportunity with where current commodity prices are. You look out to D's 24, $500 gas, you know, the old adage is, is corn, the corn price times a, a hundred. So today I think that'd be somewhere around, uh, you know, 520 some dollars. You know, that's what everybody always says ammonia should be in central Iowa to justify buying it. We're going to be right there when we get the fall. So again, don't blink, don't think. You know what you uh, you know what you got out there for bean acres. If you're not sure on your rotation with your corn, get your bean acres covered right away um, for fall gas. If that's kind of your normal um, your normal practice, and then come back if you have to to buy some more um, when you figure out if you're going to have a few extra corn on corn acres. Um, you know, looking at UAN, UAN retail wise is going to have a two in front of it. Uh, again, it not sure where it's at in the two hundreds, but um, when we come forward with some prepay opportunities on UAN it's going to start with a two in it. So again, I think uh, I think our first posted price last year on Solution was somewhere around $400. It got as high as $680. Um, two years ago, again, we sold a lot of $650 Solution. Um, getting back into this relative range of pretty cost-effective nitrogen. Again, everybody, you know, probably listen to me knows how many bean acres they've got out there. They probably have a, a decent idea on some of their rotation and what's going to be corn, what's going to be beans next year. Um, when these prices come out, don't blink. I don't think it's going to get much better than where they're at. Um, again, you have kind of that boogeyman scenario out there in Western Europe with what's really going to happen um, with the war going on, with everything going on in Europe right now of, you know, how will that affect prices come the winter? Uh, again, depending on what happens, if they have a really cold winter this winter and the war is really, really tough and there's limited gas coming from Russia into Europe, and you see a spike to $20, $30 natural gas, that's going to automatically raise the equilibrium price globally of what nitrogen is going to trade for. So it's going to, we're going to see a push up. Now, you know, we could have the exact opposite thing happen too, and they have another warm winter like they had last year, and there's limited upside. Um, I still think from what the values that are going to come out, there's going to be nice upside for both the grower and the retailer to really buy some um, nitrogen products and store those and then and get some carry. Um, the manufacturer has to kind of really put it in there because with 7%, 8% interest cost, um, nobody's really looking to buy product to sit on it and not sell it. Um, you know, the interest now is, is a real deal. When we had 3% interest, you know, you could buy some stuff and sit on it and see what happens. Um, now that you're up 7 8% interest, not so much a big thing. And I would say on urea, to be determined. I'm not, you know, that, that market will ebb and flow. Um, it kind of bottomed out a few weeks ago. It's been up, now it's back down again. Um, 
it's not a huge part of our portfolio in Central Iowa. Um, I think it's going to be pretty, you know, from a spread standpoint to UAN and Urea, it's going to be pretty favorable. So, um, you know, when you're looking to buy your UAN, it's probably about time to buy your Urea as well. Uh, kind of switching gears over to the chemical side, we've talked a lot about glyphosate, glufosinate, uh, different prices that are on products that are coming down. Um, the glyphosate market continues to tail lower as we look to next year. Um, I'm going to say you're talking retail glyphosate on the high end is going to be $25. Uh, I'm not sure what the low end looks like yet, but um, could be in the high teens. Uh, you know, really glyphosate as a, you know, as a molecule, molecule globally has got long. Think about it again. High prices cure high prices, right? We had the overall glyphosate price that rallied to $60 a gallon. Everybody wanted to make glyphosate at that time. We flooded the market. The Chinese flooded the market. And now we're kind of dealing with the after effect that distribution has inventory. There's retailers that still have inventory. Um, people are still trying to get rid of inventory um, to make sure that they don't have product laying around. Um, you know, that's really pushed the price down because there's so much product in the supply chain. Um, the same thing really is on glufosinate. Um, when we talk about the opportunity on different um, programs, um, I look back to we were selling some glufosinate for $100 a gallon two years ago. You know, that, in my opinion, just those price swings on what Liberty was versus what glyphosate was has really changed a lot of what we saw in the market from guys using it or not using it. Um, but from an overall uh, weed performance and killing standpoint, uh, you know, I think we're going to have to look a little bit more back to Liberty as being a primary, a good option on beans, um, just to really get back to uh, contact kill control uh, and managing some of these bigger weed species. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing that I'm also seeing is, and again, you know, I would say the acetylchlorpres are going to be pretty stable. Um, Metallochlor is fairly stable. Um, I think the generic products are probably going to be a, a discount to what, what is branded, um, but it's not going to be an enormous discount. You know, I think the biggest thing is if I'm a grower today and I'm looking to next year, um, you know, from an overall, you know, margin standpoint, margins look a little tighter next year as we sit here today, depending on what Mother Nature does. Um, we'll see how that stands um, for those guys here in Central Iowa that have been blessed with the rains. Um, even if it's only been, even if it's been less than what you wanted, uh, trust me, some of the guys out east would take uh, everything you've had and 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 probably be pretty happy with it today compared to what they've had. You know, I think we've got a really good opportunity from a growing standpoint here in Central Iowa to really grow some serious amount of bushels and increase that overall uh, net revenue on the farm um, to really put yourself in a great position. And then when you look at next year, all of your costs are going to come down pretty significantly. Um, so I think the biggest thing is when you're putting those herbicide packages together, you're going to want to look at a little bit of a branded and uh, maybe a generic opportunity where you can float some of those together. Um, it'll keep you somewhat tolerant with the respray policies that are out there, but it also does is it really helps you get extra modes of action on the farm as well as lower your cost of production. So, um, we're pretty committed to helping you navigate which products are right. Um, we've had a lot of different products out tested this year, um, different programs tested from again, whether it's all branded, whether it's some generic, whether it's all generic, um, you know, we've had a lot of different opportunities to see what's working. And I think we're going to be really in a great spot next year to really provide those good talking points um, to our sales team, to the Growth Solutions Center to help you out with that. Um, you know, as far as seed goes, well, it's kind of yet to be determined. Um, we'll see how that all shakes out. My guess is it's going to be very minimal price increases when we look at next year. Um, you know, obviously we've had uh, 
you know, price increases the last few years. Um, but I don't see anything major change in there. And uh, I would think we're going to be committed to providing very, uh, you know, cost-effective seed options for everybody um, that is going to be looking to buy early for sure. Um, so with that, you know, we're going to transition over to, you know, a lot of what we do here uh, and talking about the current events in agronomy. I'm going to bring in Dan and Brad, and we're going to talk about it. All right, now we got our, our group of experts here, uh, Dan and Brad, as they always come on with me, and we, we have kind of our fun part here throughout the summer and growing season on really talking about what we're seeing in the fields. And obviously there hasn't been a short uh, situation out in the, in the growing season this year with whether, you know, you've been dry, you've been too wet. Um, for some of us, that hasn't been the case. Um, we're sitting here again in Farnhamville at our beautiful research plot, and um, it could look much better, uh, I guess, especially for a kid from north central Illinois that has caught maybe a half inch of rain in the last 30, 45 days. So, um, you know, really what we've been seeing in the field, these guys have got a lot of good information. Um, you know, and, and the one that I, th I think we just put out recently on our um, virtual agronomist Dan's been talking about, but, you know, a lot of people, and I saw them on the way up here, a lot of discolored beans, spots out in the beans, um, multiple scenarios. So Dan, you know, kind of run us through on some of the current stuff we've been seeing that um, you really think have been affecting what we are seeing out there in the field from bean issues. Sure, John. Um, the damage started really in early June, and I think part of it was we had such a warm May that it just sped everything up. So the soybean field started turning yellow early this year. You know, in this area, we always start with high pH soils and, and IDC, and we saw quite a bit of that. But on June 7th, actually out here on our soybean plot, we dug some soybean rats and found soybean cysts nematode. And that's the earliest that I found soybean cysts in 43 years of actually looking mm -hmm. and digging cysts. So soybean cysts, uh, just as a general um, uh, statement, I've found cysts in about 90% of the fields that I've dug. And this is just in Calhoun County, Webster County, um, in that hot spot where we have uh, the, the IDC. But it hasn't just been in those areas with IDC. It's been beans that aren't showing anything. Um, you also go back to why soybeans are yellow this year is you got to go back to last year. So dry, and a lot of the corn chemistry that we used on last year's uh, corn crop that we rotated, rotated to soybeans just didn't break down. Mm -hmm. So we've seen some carryover with growth regulator uh, in beans with stacked nodes. We've seen some of the the the, the, the group 27 flash yep. uh, in soybeans. So I would say the biggest thing we have with soybeans is we have stress load. And what I mean by that, it's not just one stress. It could be up to four or five stresses. And if each takes four or 5%, pretty soon you've got a big number. Right. And that's why soybeans uh, look tough. This this recent rain is going to help uh, for the individuals uh, that received the rain. Um, and soybeans always seem to look a little tough in June. You get into July and they, they start looking better. But the weather is going to be the key factor because some of these um, issues like uh, SCN will be um, less impactful if we can get some rain. But that's what we're seeing. So when you think about it, you know, everybody says bag of corn coming out of the box, 600 bushel yield potential. For beans today, what do you think the true yield potential is as soon as you plant those beans? What, what is the upside in beans? Is it 150? Is it 100? Well, I know the, the, the yield record is over 200. Yeah, 60 bushels of grass, something like that. Yeah. So we've got huge potential. And to make people really interested in beans, even though you have prices pretty decent, we've got to get 80 bushel average uh, yields, guys. We've got to get 80 bushel average yields, and we need to have uh, yields up towards 100. 
And in your neck of the woods in Illinois, they started working on this five years ago, and they started planting beans early. Early, yep. And we are going to talk about that when we do our producer meetings this winter. And I think a key part of it will tie in to something that you may even want to mention with, with the Boone facility is that we're going to be able to put together some seed treatments yep. with planting beans early to help these beans really reach their yield. And it, it's the Jefferson tr- Seed Treatment Center. Yeah. Yep, Jefferson. So we were there last, for those that watched our last podcast, we were out at Jefferson, camped out in the, more or less the the warehouse side. Um, it's going to be really fun to go back there in the next uh, few weeks. Um, Nate, who does a lot of the videography for us here and is, is kind of running the podcast for us, got a really cool drone video of what that site looked like when we were that, there that day. And to look at it today versus then is night and day difference. So more to come on that. And uh, we're going to have some really cool graphics out of that as we get through some of these podcast series. But I think it's a key thing when you're talking about soybean cyst nematodes. There's a lot of different products that we're looking at from a seed treatment standpoint that you've been involved in. Brad, you've been involved in that we're trying to figure out from the standpoint of how do we how do we get early after some of this stuff and a lot of it's brand new technology it's it's some of its biological technology from the bionematicide side um some of its genetics right um dan's been pretty vocal from the from the bean standpoint that we need to be looking at more of peaking peaking varieties and i think from next year from a lot of our seed suppliers that we have talked to um there has been there's going to be a little bit more of a selection from that standpoint of uh, maturities, varieties that we can plant. So, um, you know, again, we're here at the Farmville Research Plant. We, we've got a bunch of Peking varieties out here to overall see how they perform. Last year, I think it was, what was the Vermont number that performed so well? It was um, a 2.7. Their 2.7 was pretty much a rock star in every plot we did, all the field trials that we did, um, just from the standpoint of having those Peking genetics. So, um, I think one of the things growers can really look forward to We've got some really good field scale trials where we're looking at a chelated iron product to address oh, iron. iron deficiency chlorosis. And we've been taking some videography, some imagery, looking at near infrared and different color bands. And it's going to be really exciting once we get through harvest to see, can we actually help mitigate some of this mm-hmm. by applying this chelated iron type product that we're looking at? No, I think that's a great point. I think the biggest thing when we look at it, you know, as a company stance, you know, especially for my seed is, you know, corn's always kind of the sexy thing. But I think with the expansion of um, soybean processing in the United States, um, just the fact of how much demand we're going to have, you know, when you look at the rotational ability to plant 95 million acres of beans, I mean, that's still kind of a hard feat to think about. You know, what we really and what Dan's point, what Brad's point of looking at these products to really research and grow we got to get more out of what we got. You know, we got to, if you're in central Iowa, we got to figure out a way to get to that hundred bushel standard yields and make beans, you know, just as sexy as growing corn to where, you know, and I think the biggest thing is it's going to be genetics and it's going to be biologicals and it's going to be a lot of stuff that, you know, everybody always says snake oils, the foo foo juice. I really think that's a lot of what we're going to have to look at in order to get to it. And the, you know, and one of the thing, topics we're going to talk about is weed control. That's the next thing, and we've been seeing a ton of issues on soybean weed control um, and resistance on water hemp and different products. So, you know, I, I drove to southwest Iowa yesterday almost down to uh, Pacific Junction, and, you know, if anybody thinks that we have weed control figured out on beans in the state of Iowa, I can promise you we don't. There's some that definitely do, but as a, a broadband spectrum um, 
you know, when we don't have a lot of rain, we have a lot of situations where it's dry. You've got dicamba, you've got enlist, you've got all these different scenarios. Um, you know, I think that we all have to go back to the drawing board on that one. And I, I think personally, it's going to start with what are you doing first? What's your pre, what's your tillage package? You know, those are the things that we're really going to have to start with um, and really build a, a systematical approach to killing weeds. You're right. And I think now is the optimal time, John, for growers and anyone out there to be evaluating those herbicide programs that you've applied. If you are in a field and you see a weed that is dead as a doornail and right next to it is a weed that is green as can be, that's time to really think what did I apply? When did I apply it? Do I have a resistance issue? That's a telltale sign that you may have some resistance starting to show up in those fields. Well, I think the biggest thing from my side is, you know, kind of the person that gets to see what we're buying chemicals for and knowing what we're going to be pricing stuff, you know, and, and we're, we've t- we're gonna, we talked about it a little bit in the call, you know, call of the market. You know, my, my part I usually do of, of really telling everybody what's happening in the market. Um, Liberty, glyphosate, Obviously, like I said, is going to get really cheap. Liberty is also going to be really cheap. And I think um, a lot of instances over the past two years is people have phased away from Liberty when it was $70 a gallon, $80 a gallon because of the cost per acre. You know, when you start thinking about Liberty, you know, retail, sub 30, you know, now it's kind of back in the hunt. And don't get me wrong, glyphosate is still going to be really cheap compared to that. But, you know, when we think about what we've looked at and, you know, overall commodity prices, you know, they've come off maybe a little bit, but they're still relatively a good price to sell stuff at. We're going to have prices, you know, like I said before, prices on, on chemicals back to what we saw in when we had $3 corn, $3 cash. So I think those are things where when you think about your herbicide program for next year, really, really spend some time talking to your agronomist, calling us at the Growth Solutions Center, um, reaching out to both Dan and Brad. Um, we're seeing a lot of things that I think, you know, it's just going to be a mentality change on what you're, what you're doing on your bean acres and what you're spending it. And think back to two years ago, whatever you spent on your bean program two years ago, you'll probably put more products on the acre next year and spend less. So, you know, there's a lot of advantages there. And I think, again, we got to get back to a mentality of hundred bushel yield. And we have to, and we have to use the modes of action groups. Um, the reason that we came with the groupings, uh, to describe how, uh, uh, weeds were controlled was to show people that we can diversify and rotate our modes of action. And the individuals that get in the most difficulty are those that like a program, they've got stick a with program it. and they stick with it and it works until it doesn't work. And when it doesn't work, it's a mess out there. And that's happened a lot this year. Yep. No, good points. I think you're, you're starting to see a shift as I talk to a lot of the growers too. The best weed control program is the weed that never comes out. Yep. And we used to always have to think in terms of that we didn't have post-emerge products that we could actually go in and, and help ourselves. So today with the technology we've got, we've kind of got to rethink our positioning and our thought process about how we're going to manage these tough to control weeds. And it really goes back to just don't ever let them come up. Well, and again, kind of back to my pricing point, a lot of people don't like paying $30 an acre for Zidua Pro, even though it's a premier product, it works, it does a great job because they didn't want to come back later and spend the money on another $40 post pack, right? When you start already, I mean, I know we're, we're still growing, we're still in the growing season, we're still thinking about killing disease and other stuff like that, but, you know, it's it's got to be a mentality shift. It might be more beneficial to spend with $30 up front because your cost on that post pass is going to go down next year with the decrease in Liberty, glyphosate, different products like that. 
that's going to make it more, again, you're probably going to end up spending less per acre than you did a year ago, two years ago, but you're going to have a premium program that is really rock solid. And I think, I think that's what everybody really has to focus on. And we're really focused on coming out with some proven recommendations, both on pre and post on how we think, um, you know, growers should really attack that. I would say from the heavy branded side and both for some post patent products that you can maybe um, push in there from a, from a pre standpoint to also um, get with some good coverage. My opinion from seeing pricing and some early options of what it's going to look like, I think it's going to be a nice mix on the bean acre where you're going to have an opportunity to go fully branded or possibly look at half branded, half uh, generic from the pre standpoint. Um, we've got some really good innovative products that we've been testing this year that had really good results that I think are going to, you know, really prove themselves again next year. So, and then obviously we're going to talk about Dan's favorite topic, which is tar spot. And, um, I think it was the Iowa extension came out. Was it last week? Last week. Last week and announced that there's tar spot been found in the following counties, Polk, Story, Jasper, Tama, Powashik, and Marshall counties. Um, again, this was announced prior to getting the rain, the rain that swept through. Um, for those, again, you know, the, the way that tar spot does move is through water. So, um, again, if we can link Brad's video that he did last year on really getting in depth about how it works and what it does. Um, but you know, when you think about the heavy dews we've had, the rain we were getting, that's how that product, that's how that disease is basically translocating itself across the country. So, um, it was heavy Southwest. And you think about that storm system that came, it was heavy Southwest pushing to the Northeast. Um, you know, so anywhere in the South or you think about Story County, Polk County, where these places were, um, you know, a lot of that's been pushed in your direction. Um, and I think that's something to be mindful of. Um, so if we've already seen it last year, I think we found it, what, August 12th? And it's, as we tape this, it's June 27th. Um, so you've got a, it's got a 30-day head start already. So, you know, when you think about it, John, a lot of, and and we haven't talked about it, but um, or, uh, beetles are actually emerging too, which yep. is really early. And I think part of it is that we have just a huge accumulation of growing degree units. And so all these Pass all these insects, uh, all these diseases that are basically determined by heat units are ahead. Yep. And so I think that's why tar spot is ahead. And we know last year that we found tar spot, tar spot was in every county in Iowa mm -hmm. by the time we got into late September. So the inoculum is there. And the fact that we have found it already in June and we're heading into this key time of pollination uh, coming up, the time to scout is absolutely right now to from now to uh, uh, pollination, because here's the thing. When you see tar spot, it's already been uh, in that plant for two weeks. Um, it's uh, that latent period uh, is developed into two weeks. So those people that found it, it's already been there two weeks prior. Um, so it is a very significant disease and the life cycles um, just continuously uh, move. And as you've learned from uh, Illinois and, and some of uh your uncle's farms over there, when it hits, it, it hits hard. Right there, you yeah. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, we, we proved a uh, point of concept last year. We had a lot of growers last year that submitted data to us, pictures to us, NDVI to us, where they had trials of fungicide, no fungicide. And it was pretty easy to say. I mean, I think there was some up there by Dyke that was 40 bushel differential, right? So, you know, the nice thing again, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it as we um, transition to talk about what we have out here in the research plot, but we're we're really dedicated here at Landis to figure out what products work, the rates, all that stuff. And 
Um, you know, Northwest back here, we got 40 acres that we're completely dedicating just to tar spot um, um, research. That field last year, it's corn on corn. It had a ton of tar spot. So we've already been, and it's inoculated, it's ready to go. Uh, we haven't found it out there yet, but it's going to happen with the rains we've had, with the ability of it moving into the area. Um, for us, the value is, is we really get to provide some really good information back to everybody on, you know, we're going to have checks out there with untreated acres and whatnot, but it's really looking at it. You know, how do I attack it from a programming standpoint? And, you know, I think even in the herbicide programs where we saw, you know, weed control issues, some of that might be because your rates were too low. I think the fungicide side is going to be a little bit of the same. Just be putting the minimum rate out there from a fungicide standpoint may not be the right idea. Yeah, and the fungicides, everybody continues to learn more about tar spot. But when you look at a lot of the work that's been provided by the multi-universities, the corn disease working group, as they call themselves, it really appears from their data that it's the strobilurins, the group 11s, that's carrying the load that's controlling tar spot the best. And as Dan alluded to, with a 14-day incubation period, essentially, by the time you see it, the infection took place earlier. It's not one that typically falls into the way we normally manage and treat problems. Scout it, identify it, threshold, treat it. When it comes to tar spot, that doesn't work. Right. And so you really need to be proactive. And I think the key part in that is paying attention to the amount of active ingredient you're putting out there. So depending on which product you pick and understanding what's in that product. And a lot of conversation around having multiple different modes of action, the SDHIs, the triazoles, the strobilurins, they don't, the strobilurin is really what's doing the work. Right. And so you really need to pay close attention to that. We've got some great information we put together that if anybody wants to really understand better what products I should be looking at, you can get a hold of the Grow Solution Center. You can get a hold of your Landis account leader or account manager. They have that document that we put together that I think is a really good reference. Absolutely. So kind of rounding it up, you know, I think the biggest thing that, you know, we're saying is there's obviously a lot of different factors out there affecting the fields. Um, you know, we've been keeping an eye on all of them by far. Um, you know, I think what we've had a really nice opportunity through Toranis to really see all these different things that are happening out in the field, um, whether it's been residue management. I mean, that's been a key thing for emergence. Um, just really a lot of things. You know, another thing is nutrient deficiency. And, and that was kind of the aha moment we've had in a lot of situations is, you know, whether it's been with Toranis or um, the drone that we purchased for NDVI and looking at colors on leaves. You know, I think the biggest thing is, guys, is even though your soil samples or your soil tests tell you that, you know, you might be okay. Brad's talked a lot about it on the, on the podcast that we've been in here with and teaching our, our sales team. It's not always the limiting, the soil sample doesn't have everything to, to really tell you. And, um, you know, when we're seeing these nutrient deficiencies, get out there and grab some leaf tissues, get them tested, see what, what it's truly uptaking in that plant. Um, we found a lot of unique information this, uh, this spring from just the ability of one having dry early start and what that did to potassium um, and just a lot of different things out there in the field. So I don't know if you guys got anything to say on that, but it's, you know, sulfur is another one that we've seen a ton of. I don't know if there's a, a limit to how much sulfur we can put on these crops. Probably none. Yeah. I mean, you literally can't overdo it with sulfur. The challenge is that in the sulfate form, which is the plant available form, it's leachable. Yep. So it becomes a little challenging to manage it. 
you can't just go out, throw something out there, and I'm good to go because Mother Nature's going to change the game. Under these dry conditions, it's very, I would say, almost expected or not surprising that we've seen a lot of the potassium deficiency. Remember, the potassium deficiency is going to start at the leaf tip and come down the edge of the leaf, the yellowing. Yep. Uh, very common when we get the dry conditions around uh, this part of the country with our heavier clay soils. That water evaporates. There's no water to fill the pore space. The ground essentially is compacted. And even though you may have high potassium levels on your soil test, the plant can't get it. And so it's a function of Mother Nature, not something that anyone's necessarily done wrong. Right. But those are some things to keep an eye out on. What will end up happening later in the season, if you see that potassium deficiency and it's going to start at the bottom and work its way up, those are going to be the fields that may be prone to some stock lodging because you just don't have the turgor pressure to hold that plant up. You know, for our high-yield group uh, team that will be coming in in July for a meeting, we're going to take a deeper dive on the genetics by, by fertility. And, guys, there are differences in hybrid response potassium. Some are more potassium odds and some get worse. And we've seen in the last four years, you can look at different genetics and one is going to show up more than others. And if that leads to a stock right later on, there's also white papers and university papers uh, uh, also verifying this, that genetics plays a role. It's maybe not the only role, obviously, the dry weather, but it does play a role. It plays a role in tar spot on the disease side, yep. and it plays a role on potassium. And we are going to take a deep dive for those who uh, did uh, enroll in the high yield learning group. We're going to talk about that. Awesome. Well, thanks for uh, joining us for this part of the of the overall podcast. We're going to take a quick break and walk down and uh, talk about a little bit more what's here in the research plot. All right, we're still here at the Farnville Research Plot. Uh, we've added one team member, Mr. Dave Lemke, who really owns this bad boy, uh, does a lot of the hard work. And, um, you know, for the years, how many years we've been doing it out here, Dave? I've been affiliated with it for at least 15. So and it was underway before that. So you think about it, we've had Dave out here for 15, maybe been doing it for 20. And, you know, we've got 160 acres here um, that we use every year in really research and development of understanding the products that we are selling here at Landis, whether it's seed products, um, different foliars. I mean, it literally the, the list goes on. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit what we have out here this year and, and, why, and the why behind what we did put out here. So. Um, I'm going to start off. I think the favorite thing I, I'm, we've got out here is our tar spot research trial. Um, so for any of you that are, are as a as a visual person that can see the fertilizer plant back there, it's in the 40 acres behind the tar or behind the fertilizer plant. Um, I think that was corn last year. So maybe give us a little bit of uh, background on what that was last year. Correct. It was corn. That field has been in corn 11 out of the last 12 years. And so we ran beans, soybeans one year back in 21, and it just has some high pH areas. It's kind of guarded by the city, so we don't worry about green snap or anything. But yeah, it's actually a little over 60 acres under trial there now. Yep. So what we've got is eight different hybrids, and we're going to use different products on it, multiple replications of each hybrid. And I think the way that you planted it, you planted it north-south. Correct. We're going to fly uh, the tar spot fungicide products um, basically east-west so that we can get a good representation, both how it works from an overall yield standpoint, as well as how it reacted to those hybrids. So 
You said how many hybrids you got out there? Eight different hybrids. And you know, probably DeKalb, NK, and Bravant are the primary. It, yeah. It's basically the DeKalb and Bravant. Okay. We took four hybrids of each. Yep. Some that are tolerant, some not so tolerant, so we can get a good cross-section. Perfect. So th that, to me, is, again, that's some of what we're trying to do here. Um, for anybody in the area, feel free to swing by and look at anything that we ha do have here. Um, we've been working, days and working somewhat today, and uh, we're, so we're standing next to some signs on getting everything signed. Um, so you can also look at it. We're also going to put, um, for those that are listening, make sure you log into YouTube. Go to the Landis YouTube. Uh, hit subscribe for us, too. Um, we're really trying to put a lot of good content together on that YouTube page um, that is both learning, insights, and stuff like we're doing today. Um, but for those listening, you know, go ahead and reach, go to YouTube and watch this. Um, we're going to actually have um, some demonstration of where the plot's at and then as well as the products that we have out there in the plot and where we're going to spray them. So really good representation of how we're going to be able to pre present that data. Um, so then the other side of it is, as everybody can see, um, we're standing next to a bean field. we got the cornfield right here. Um, so, Dave, these are basically our hybrid variety. Uh, Correct. Correct. How many different hybrids? So there's 38 different varieties of soybeans. We have some experimental ones out here. Obviously, you know, the, the system goes fast, really, in replacing varieties. So we have to be a little ahead of marketing. You know, the worst thing in my mind that we can do for a grower is sell something we haven't seen. Yep. So we try and get everything a good luck here. This field can be a little tough for iron chlorosis. So, you know, whatever it ends up is how we're going to score it. So, you know, we have the farmer's interests in mind when we put this plot in. We've got from a group 1.9 up to a 2.9 here. What about on corn? Corn, same thing. I believe we've got 36 or 37 varieties over there from 102 to 116 day. Perfect. Perfect. Awesome. Um, so the, the other thing that we did this year that's new, um, which is behind you, you can't really see it right now. Um, we've got exactly about how many acres is it that's right here? In so there's 35 acres that is under the high yield management. So with that, what we're doing is we, we are trying to absolutely knock out, you know, these guys want to be uh, the Shulas, uh, the, the Dowdies, the, all those guys that get, grow the big, the big yields, uh, we're trying to get 350 bushel corn. Um, so what we're going to also do is we're going to put in there kind of what we've done with the plot, um, what we've sprayed on it, what we've put on it, the hybrids, where they're planted, all that good information. So, uh, again, when we take it to yield, everybody can see it, but, uh, the whole goal behind it is, is really trying to knock out the NCGA, um, high yield and we'll see what happens. We poured the coals to it, so we can we'll find out. Hey, first year I have high expectations, but I've been disappointed before. But you got to start someplace. So, yep. you know, theoretically we will be looking at 300 shortly. But I think there's some other things we'll do to it to show improvement here down the road, increasing the fertility. You know, we have everything sampled on a one-acre grid and. We've gone as high as 1,800 pounds of potash to the acre trying to build yield. So awesome. we'll see what happens. Awesome. Um, and then we've got two other pieces that are across the road. Um, we've got about how many acres that are beans that we're doing biostimulants with? 35 acres. So really what that is what the goal is, is again, the biomarket, whether it's biostimulants, PGRs, um, all the different products that we're getting thrown at us uh, on a daily basis. Um, the goal from that is to, again, back to our conversations we had around how do we grow bigger bean yields? 
that's really what that plot is for is it's it's taking those products that are one i'm not going to say they're super expensive by any means but they're there may be something that's out of the traditional um, part of your practice and really putting them into play to see how they perform uh, and again a lot of what we're trying to do is we're trying to do more acres with uh, a few less products that way we're getting some really good uh, data and, and checkpoints out of it but uh, anything else you'd add to that you guys quiet group here today yeah no we've been doing those off and on for the last five years and companies come and go and kind of my personal goal along with you guys is to get to something that's consistent that we have consistent manufacturing something we can sell that's going to work they're really cool to watch yep well and i think the big advantage we have going for us here with the acres that we control is we're really trying to answer a fundamental question which is what is our target environment yeah where do you get the maximum return on investment for a product or products so we can actually evaluate kind of pressure test if you will products under different controlled conditions to understand where that product works or where its best fit is before we go to the growers and try and help them get to that next level so we've got a good understanding we've got data to back that up Perfect. And then lastly, I, I don't know how much the little piece is up front. What How many acres is that? 12.34. That's 12, easy to remember. One, 12, two, three, four. 12.34. Um, with what we're doing in there is we have an experimental project product that we're putting out there that is going to be proprietary to the Landis. Um, you know, the, the group of individuals up here and then Edwin Suarez, who's recent to the team, that's really part of product development here at Landis. And in connection with our Boone, um, our, our building at Boone that we're building here today to really um, build out and manufacture our own products. Um, the experimental part of that is is in some ways a biological, a biostimulant, um, a, a product that is, is really um, key to the market. What we've done there is we're looking at buying that from a supplier and, and um, really looking at putting that in, into a lot of the products that we're going to make going forward um, in different forms and fashions. Everything that we're doing with a lot of our new experimentals, whether it's the biostimulants, whether it's some of the products that are going to be proprietary to Landis, is we're looking at how do we stop stress, okay? Um, and I think on a year like this where we've had a ton of variable weather, um, again, especially the further east you get where the, we, we've had less rain, um, it's all about protecting variability. And um, we've talked about it a lot as a group, both on the podcast and different times, around stress management is the key to big yields. Um, it's what helps that plant really, you know, get the best days out of itself. And, and that's what we're committed to in a lot of the products that we're going to be building. Um, you know, in the next few months, we're going to be talking about, you know, really launching some of those proprietary products that we're going to have, the things that we're going to manufacture. And, um, when I get excited about it, I know Brad does, Dan and Dave, um, the nice thing about what we're doing at Boone from the manufacturing side is we're, we're focused on producing products that are going to work here in central Iowa or we're focused on products that are that have a more intimate opportunity to work on your farm um, that are really in, in what you see here today at the Farmville Research Plot. Um, this is our playground to make sure it does work um, before we do come to market and we have good information that is, is on farm. Um, the other great thing that, you know, these gentlemen have put together with our high yield learning group, um, you know, we're getting these products. A lot of these products are in the field in major large scale tests today. Um, you know, and that's the value of having one being farmer owned, farmer focused that we are and, and really trying to and find those products that are best suited 
um, for our growers here in Central Iowa. So with that, guys, that's kind of my roundup and my, my elevator pitch on what we're doing out here at Farnaville. Um, for those, again, that are listening, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, uh, go ahead and log in and watch this uh, podcast. We're going to have a ton of good viewing data um, for those to really look at and get a hands-on touch of what we're doing here at uh, Farnhamville. But otherwise, guys, always appreciate you joining me and uh, look forward to the, our July podcast. All right, thanks for listening to the podcast this month. Um, I wanted to also uh, talk a little bit about some opportunities we got coming here at Landis this summer uh, to get in to get connected with us. We're, we're going to do our Innovation Connector ser- Series again this summer. Um, it's our summer series. The dates for that are going to be August 17th, August 18th, September 7th, and September 8th. Uh, the exciting part about that is if you come to the, uh, the August 17th uh, meeting, uh, we're going to raffle off some Jason Aldean tickets. If you come to the August 18th, we're going to do a raffle for the chicks at the Iowa State Fair. Anybody that joins us on those two dates is going to get free tickets to the Iowa State Fair. Um, it's a great opportunity to get in, it for, to come to Des Moines, listen to us, and then also jump over to the fair. In September 7th and September 8th, anybody that joins us those nights, we're going to raffle off tickets to the Iowa-Iowa State game. Uh, so most everybody that's coming, obviously, we're going to be rooting on them Cyclones. Uh, but uh, you're going to have an opportunity to, to uh, join us in the suites at Jack Trice Stadium and really enjoy what's going to be a great game. So, again, that's August 17th, August 18th. Uh, those are the raffles for the concerts at the Iowa State Fair. And then September 7th and September 8th, come on in. We're going to raffle off some tickets to that, the great game at Iowa and Iowa State. Um, what to expect? Uh, we're going to have hotel accommodations for all that come. Um, we're going to have dinner. We're going to have a really nice event for your spouse to maybe join us uh, on a small business fair uh, at the office where we're going to bring in some central uh, Iowa uh, small retailers that are going to have some stuff there to, to show off and, and sell. Um, and then also we're going to have a grain and agronomy update from both myself on the agronomy side and Dustin Weiner on the grain side, really diving into a lot of the topics that you hear from us monthly on the podcast. And finally, you're going to get a good update, update from our president and CEO, Matt Carstens, on you know, what our vision is, what our goals are here at Landis, and how we're going to continue to service uh, the farmer tomorrow and the farmer here in central Iowa. So keep up for those dates. Come see us. It's always good seeing familiar faces, but if you haven't been there, you're missing out. Come on down. We've got a really good opportunity this summer, both in August and September, to have a, a great experience with us. So as always, thanks for listening, and thanks for everything and supporting Landis.